0: This is the Eye on Annapolis Daily News Brief, keeping you informed about the happenings in Annapolis and the area. Local news, local sports, local events, local opinion, and of course, local weather. The Eye on Annapolis Daily News Brief starts now.
1: Good morning. It's Thursday, October 11th, 2018. This is John Fernay and this is your Eye on Annapolis Daily News Brief. Some good news from the Parole Rotary. Big Books for International Goodwill is back in business. Now, this is a program of the Rotary that went out of business about 18 months ago when the Capitol vacated their premises on Gibraltar Avenue. They used to be housed in the basement where the printing presses used to be. They did find a new place at 451 Defense Highway, which is right in the complex with First Class Gymnastics and Main Cottage. And they are ready for business starting October 20th, where they will begin to accept books. And they'll be able to accept them round the clock at a drop-off shed just outside the warehouse. Now, Books for International Goodwill takes used books, ships them up in container ships, and sends them across the world to people to help literacy worldwide. All types of books are accepted. Priority is given to nonfiction, textbooks, and children's books. The books they feel are not acceptable to send across the ocean are sold off at regularly scheduled book sales to local readers, well, actually regional readers as well. And the first one is going to take place at 8 a.m. on December 8th at the new location. Got some bad news from the Baltimore City Police Department. The chief spokesman of the department, T.J. Smith, has resigned, saying there has been a long-term systematic failure of policing in the city, among other ills. Now, T.J. Smith was the chief spokesman for the Anne Arundel County Police Department before he went up to work with former Anne Arundel County Police Chief Kevin Davis, who was at that time the commissioner for the Baltimore Police Department. T.J. was the face of the Baltimore police at news conferences, crime scenes, and he announced his resignation yesterday on a Facebook post. He had been the spokesman since 2015, coming to Baltimore just after the suspicious death of Freddie Gray triggered massive protests and riots. Smith did say in his Facebook post that the vast majority of Baltimore officers are honorable and hardworking, but in his lengthy Wednesday post, he stressed that some real hardcore criminals infiltrated the department over the years and left a lifetime of scars. He says it's important to weed out those who want to tarnish the badge and the image of policing. He did say that he was not planning to return to Ann Rundle County. And we do wish TJ all the best. He's one of the good guys. Speaking of things that stink in police departments, the Annapolis Police Department put up a cryptic message on their Facebook page yesterday saying that the lobby is closed due to environmental conditions inside the building. We encourage people to call us at 410-268-4141, which is the non-emergency number, to make a report. We will not be offering state equipment repair order services today. And you can still enter the main entrance, but don't come in and utilize the intercom in the entrance vestibule. Quite the mystery. Natty Bo is doing good by the bay. Baltimore's hometown beer, which isn't brewed anywhere near Baltimore anymore, had a summer promotion encouraging consumers across the mid-Atlantic region to send in red crab-etched can tabs from cans of Natty Bow. They set a goal of 100,000 tabs being sent in, and if they got it, they would donate a full $10,000 to the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. They had just more than 90,000 what they call crab tabs sent in which was 5,000 more than the program's inaugural year last year. And they decided to make the full 10,000 donation anyway. And this goes to support the Chesapeake Bay Foundation's mission to save the Bay and its work to protect blue crab habitats by improving water quality in the Chesapeake Bay. So good on you, Natty Bo. And if you'd like to eat some of the blue crabs, you can order them from Whole Foods and Amazon will deliver them to you within two hours. Yes, Amazon delivery is now expanding into Anne Arundel County. In a statement released yesterday, they said the delivery area stretches from Ferndale and Glen Burnie in the north to Harwood and West River in the south, from Bowie and Kettering in the west, and downtown Annapolis in the east. So that pretty much covers all of Anne Arundel County. Fresh produce, meat, seafood, and other products are available daily from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. If you are a Prime member... Delivery within two hours is free. And if you want delivery within one hour, they can do that for an additional $7.99 on orders of $35 or more. So yes, Anne Arundel County just got a little bit more lazy. Last night, the League of Women Voters held a candidates forum at the Knesseth Israel Synagogue in Annapolis. It was initially supposed to have all of the House of Delegate candidates, as well as all of the Senate candidates for District 30. And something happened and all they had were the Senate candidates. They had Sarah Elfrith and Ron George, who were both competing to win the seat that John Astle will be vacating. And it was kind of a very weird forum. Christopher Nelson, the former president of St. John's College, moderated it, but they would not allow anyone to take any photos or any video. They had their select hand-picked few, but I tried to take a photo and got slapped down and told to put my camera away. Uh, however, I did get some really crappy audio. I will warn you that it is not easy to listen to because their microphones were bad, their speakers were bad, the acoustics in the room were bad. But it's all that I have, and I will tag it on to the end of this daily news brief if you're interested in listening to what Ron George or Sarah Elforth have to say. And they're both running for state senator in District 30, which is the Annapolis area. That is about it for the top news today. Please make sure you're checking out ionanapolis.net throughout the day because we do update it throughout the day. It is Thursday and that means it is time for our Maker Minutes with Trevor. And George Young will be here to let us know what the scoop is on how Hurricane Michael may or may not affect us here in Anne Arundel County. Stay tuned. All of that coming right up after this. 35 years ago, Annapolis became a fine dining destination when Carroll's
0: Creek Cafe first opened its doors on the Eastport waterfront. Today, diners enjoy delicious new American appetizers and entrees from sea and land, an extensive wine and craft beer selection, and creative desserts, all while enjoying the most scenic views in town. Join the fun as Carroll's Creek celebrates with a very special three-course, $35 anniversary dinner menu from October 15th to the 27th call 410-263-8102 to reserve your table today going out you need the most up-to-date local weather here's george young from dmv weather in annapolis with today's forecast
2: hey everyone this is george with dmv weather and this is your eye on annapolis forecast for thursday october 11th yesterday was the eighth day out of 10 in october so far at or above the 80 degree mark for the region And today we'll get close, if not to it or above, as now Tropical Storm Michael moves by just to the south and east, bringing a decent amount of rain and some breeziness to sometimes windy conditions to the area in the p.m. and overnight hours especially. And depending on the exact track of the storm, the Annapolis region could see a few inches of rain and wind gusts in excess of 40 miles per hour. Once tomorrow hits, the temps will likely peak around midnight near 70 or so before dropping throughout the day through the 60s and into the 50s by the evening with continued windy conditions behind the cold front that kicked Michael in the ass and out to sea with winds Friday still 20 to 30 miles per hour and gusts near 40 or more. And when we wake up Saturday morning, it'll be a whole new world weather-wise with temps in the 45 to 55 degree range before sunny, albeit still breezy, afternoon highs in the low 60s, which should be just about the same on Sunday. So be careful out there tonight and in the overnight hours and get ready for a full fall weekend ahead, finally, 12 days into October. Okay, that's it for today. Make it a great day out there. Be sure to follow DMV Weather anywhere all the time at dmvweather.com or on social media via Twitter or Facebook, or especially on our free app that you can download from the Apple App Store or Google Play Store on all of your devices by searching for DC DCMDVA Weather, so you can always stay weather-informed. And also, be sure to check out our special for free advertising on the DMV Weather platform of app, website, social media, email, and I own Annapolis Podcast by going to dmvweather.com advertise. This is George Young with DMV Weather. Stay dry today as Michael moves by, but remember, whatever the weather outside, have fun and be safe.
0: Imagine your child saying, guess what I learned in school today? At St. Andrews, it happens every day. We asked teachers why.
3: Our innovative educational approach spans indoors and out with challenging academics that inspire and engage.
4: In our small classes, we are able to find the
0: learner in every child, from preschool to eighth grade. See for yourself as St. Andrews hosts an open house at its Edgewater campus friday november 9th from 9 to 11 a.m or call 410-266-0952 today every week makers crafters and educators hold events all over the area highlighting some of those here's our makers minute brought to you
4: by annapolis makerspace hey this is trevor from annapolis makerspace with this week's maker minutes Last weekend was the United States Sailboat Show in Annapolis, so that means this week is the United States Powerboat Show. And if you want to get out of town and avoid the boat show traffic, head on over to Easton for the 11th Annual Chesapeake Film Festival, the only film festival on the Eastern Shore, curated by Industry Insiders. The event will be held in five venues, including the historic Avalon Theater of Easton. Also this weekend up in Thermont is the Fall Fest at Catoctin Furnace, a festival held in the historic village of Catoctin Furnace. They'll have traditional apple butter boiling, blacksmithing demonstrations, kids' activities, homemade soup, cornbread, and more. And while you're up there, check out the Catoctin Color Fest. It's an arts and crafts festival featuring 300 well-known and respected artists from around the U.S., one of the largest outdoor craft shows on the East Coast. A little closer to home, but still a little bit of a trek, is the Sugarloaf Craft Festival up at the Maryland State Fairgrounds, which also runs the whole weekend. Saturday is the Fells Point Fun Festival, arts and crafts from local vendors, live music, local food, beer and wine, and more. And in Annapolis proper, on Sunday is the Annapolis Harvest Beer Festival at the Chesapeake Brewing Company in Annapolis, featuring eight local breweries showing off their harvest craft brews. Witness their home brewing championship with celebrity judges, live entertainment, pumpkin carving, and food. This week at the Clay Bakers in Annapolis, tomorrow is their kids' night out. Drop the kids off with the Clay Bakers for their monthly kids' night out. Staff will help them paint, serve pizza, and watch the movie Coco. Sunday, they have their autumn wine glass painting again. Enamel glass painting where you'll choose from a stemmed or stemless wine glass, beer stein, pint glass, or mason jar. You paint them at the shop and take them home to fire in your own oven. And finally on Tuesday is their preschool book club. The book this time is called The Halloweener, a Halloween tale involving dachshunds. Drop by for an hour with your little one to hear a fun children's book and paint a project that relates to this story. On Saturday, GEMS, the girls excelling in math and science, has their STEM Saturday workshop for girls ages 11 to 14 at the Upper Marlboro Branch Library. This week at the Anne Arundel County Public Library System, on Saturday at Rivera Beach, you have 3D printing for beginners. Learn how to create and print a 3D object using Tinkercad 3D software, ages 10 to adult. Also on Saturday at the Glen Burnie Library is their Paper Airplane Rally. Craft paper airplanes and compete to see who can make the best plane. This one's for elementary school students. On Monday at the Serena Park Library is Libby and the Shooting Star Foundation and Rocket Challenge. Author Julia Collins and Kelly Martin of Challenge Island will present a special story time reading of Julia's new book, Libby and the Shooting Star Foundation, followed by a STEM rocket building challenge. And if you miss it on Monday at Severna Park, they will be doing it again on Wednesday at the Maryland City at Russet Library near Laurel. Monday at the Crofton Library is the third Monday STEAM workshop. This abracadoodle art journey is filled with scientific discovery and cool technology. And Tuesday at the Odenton Library is Snap Circuits. Snap Circuits are electronic circuits built with simple components that snap together and teach kids how electronic circuits work for elementary and middle school students. This Saturday at Unallocated Space in Severn is a Halloween and Horror themed epic land party. 12 hours of haunting good fun from noon till midnight. Come play horror themed games with Unallocated this Saturday, including a costume contest, hot seat tournament, and prize for the best themed food brought to share. This week at Annapolis Makerspace, on Tuesday, I'll be hosting a Basics of Audio and Podcast Editing workshop using the Audacity audio editing software. I'll be talking about some basics of audio editing with Audacity, but also talking about how to craft audio that's structured well for the listener as well. I'm not an expert, but I've learned a few things doing this podcast and being a general radio file most of my life and as always monday nights are woodworking night and you can catch me tonight every thursday night at annapolis makerspace on renard court for electronics night i'll be posting links to these events on the annapolis makerspace website at makeanapolis.org sometime today and whether you're making art software sawdust or just a mess chances are you're already a maker this has been trevor for annapolis makerspace with this week's maker minutes it's the navy football and
1: bud light golden ticket giveaway Join Ion Annapolis and Navy football this Saturday from 1230 to 330 for a chance to win VIP Bud Light golden tickets to see the Navy midshipmen take on the Temple Owls. Four lucky winners will be selected for the ultimate Bud Light football fan experience. Come on out to Fido Saturday from 1230 to 330 for the Bud Light golden ticket party. Bring some friends or make some new ones because it's all about building friendships.
3: My name is Nisi Chambers, and I'm president of the League of Women Voters of Ann Aronville County. Our league is sponsoring this legislative
5: candidate's forum
3: with the American Association of University Women the Ann Aronville County
5: Branch as a public service
3: to the residents of District This is our first legislative district forum in several years. While our state senators and delegates may seem more removed from our daily lives than our county executive and council members, they are responsible for passing laws that are directly affect our county as well as the state at large. To help county residents understand the role of our legislature better, we planned forums in four districts, 30, 31, 32, and 33. Regrettably, last night, the forum that we had planned for District 31 had to be canceled because too few candidates agreed to participate. The League of Women Voters is a national nonpartisan organization whose mission is to empower voters democracy. Candidate forums empower voters to make informed decisions at the polls. They strengthen democracy by bringing cons- constituents and candidates into a common space to exchange views on important issues and concerns. It is discouraging to miss these valuable opportunities. Nonetheless, we are delighted to welcome our two candidates for the state senate. For tonight's one, we we'll invited all candidates that will be on the ballot to represent District 30 in the state senate and the House of the Delegates. Although some did not respond or could not attend, up until four hours ago, five were confirmed. Bob O'Shea and Chelsea Gill notified our forum coordinator this afternoon that they could not attend because they had been called to a mandatory meeting by delegate Nicholas Kepke. Unfortunately, their absence means that we are unable to include Alice Kane in the formal question and answer portion of the program. Alice Kane is here in the audience and along. Ah, so there she is waving her arm. have two people to ask. They're going to, they're going to get through to our questions much faster. So we'll probably be around 8.15, and then I think the candidates are willing to stay and, and meet with you and have you answer your questions directly. We candidate forms follow strict guidelines to ensure that all candidates are treated equitably and to provide voters with candidates' answers on a diverse range of topics. Ground rules for the audience are listed on the back of your program, but reward three warned repeating. Please silence all cell phones. Audiences, cameras, and audiovisual reporting equipment is prohibited, and kindly refrain from applauding or in other ways demonstrating support or non-support for a candidate during the forum. And if you need a question card, just raise your hand. Now that we have the rules down, I'm delighted to introduce Christopher Nelson. Christopher Nelson has been a resident of the area for 27 years. He served as president of St. John's College in Annapolis for 26 of those years and is now a member of its teaching faculty. Mr. Nelson practiced law in Chicago for 18 years before he and his family moved to Annapolis. He has twice served as a moderator of local and district-level candidate forums in prior elections. He has also chaired and served on commissions for county executives and Annapolis mayors of both major parties. Chris is also the son of a lifelong league member and former president of the Anne Arundel County League of Loan Brothers. I'm guessing that he's been attending candidate forums before he can walk. (laughs) And we appreciate his sharing all of his experience with us. Please join me in welcoming Chris Brunel. Thank you. Uh, let me just say a few more preliminaries before we get started. And I know that there's nothing more important than making sure that we have the mics on right. Uh, I tested these with my voice, but it may be that it's a little different for others. Can you hear me clearly in the back?
6: Okay. Well let us know and way if there's any difficulty with these other mics as well. Or if you want to just say testing to make sure. Testing? Can you hear me? Everyone can hear me? It's great. Testing? I think with the second mic we may need to be a little closer okay. to the mic. Good. Uh, the forum tonight will be will open with a single question that we'll put to both candidates. The question was prepared by our local uh one of the voters of Animal County, and it's been shared with in advance. Each candidate will have two minutes to respond. I'll begin with Ms. Elberth and moving uh, alphabetically to Mr. George. Uh, If Ms. Elberth wants to reply to Mr. Mr. George's uh, comments, she'll have 30 seconds, after which Mr. George can follow up with another 30 seconds. So we can have a little bit of a conversation since we're down to just our two candidates. Uh, the League has supplied us with time keepers who will flag the candidates to let them know when their time is drawing to close. So they'll flag you at uh, 30 seconds and at 15 seconds. And then that big red stop sign will come up the last you mm-hmm. to observe the time limits. Uh, candidates will then entertain questions submitted by the audience. Representatives of the League will gather these uh, written questions on the cards that are being passed out or have been passed out. And uh, these will be screened by people at the front table here, from uh, duplication, who uh, will then bring the questions to me, and I will address them directly to the candidates. Candidates will have two minutes to respond to these questions, and if replies are called for another 30 seconds. Our goals
5: for the evening are to afford candidates a free opportunity to respond to the questions and
6: concerns of the audience. Uh, and to have this accomplished with and respect from audience and candidates alike. Uh, so, just a quick reminder,
5: it's not a, a forum for political or candidate rallies, and we'll ask that you will hear
6: applause to the end. As uh, we'll be shortening the length of the forum to about an hour for questions, I'll bring things to a close a little bit after 8 o'clock to give the candidates then two minutes each for closing statements, uh, followed by an opportunity for you to meet with them informally on the floor. Uh, so let me briefly introduce the candidates. Let me be able to say something more about themselves as the evening progresses. Uh, Sarah Dolfman, a Democratic candidate for the Senate of District 30, has worked as a government affairs director with the National Aquarium and senior director of University Projects for the Broadway Strategy. She's the president of District 30 Democratic Club. George is
5: the Republican candidate for the Senate from this district uh, with his wife. He's the co-owner of Ron George
6: Jewelers in downtown Annapolis. He served in the Maryland House of Delegates from 2007 to 2015. Both candidates have considerably more detail on their websites concerning their backgrounds and positions on issues and volunteer political activities. <laughs> so, we go to the first question that is on your program. On the second page, but I will nonetheless read it.
5: The Maryland Constitution requires that state legislative districts be compact, continuous, and give due regard for natural boundaries and
6: political subdivisions. It contains no or standards for the drawing of congressional districts. The congressional district maps adopted by the Have been repeatedly challenged by state voters. As a member of the General Assembly that will oversee the next congressional redistricting cycle,
7: what specific measures will you enact to address voters' objections and improve the redistricting process if reiterate that Alice is here, and- Thank you. Uh, there is a, a sense of discouragement at the national level of our political process, and part of that stems from uh, having a uh, gerrymandered district right here in Maryland. It's imperative as leaders of our state that we, uh, when we look towards the 2020 census and the following redistricting, that we employ a nonpartisan commission to take the politics out of redistricting, the redistricting process. But it's also incumbent upon us as leaders of the state to influence our surrounding states to take the same measure. A Potomac combat, perhaps with Virginia or North to Pennsylvania. Maryland has led the way in so many ways when it comes to cleaning up the Chesapeake Bay, organizing the original Chesapeake Bay program. We can again be leaders here in influencing our other states, just as we need to be leaders when it comes to stemming the tide of gun violence in our communities, influencing our surrounding states to, to take a leadership role in the trafficking of illegal guns that come into the state. We can be leaders
8: here in Maryland on redistricting, on Chesapeake Bay cleanup, and on stem the tide of that violence. Thank you. Mr. George. All right, first of all, I want to thank the League of Women Voters. I want everyone to know that I've been in other debates with them. They truly are nonpartisan. They respect the process, and I immediately said yes uh, to this debate. And uh, so I thank them. A lot of work goes into organizing it, and I wish everyone were here. Um, I will let you know this. I received an award from the League of Women Voters in 2013 and 2014. To stop the I led the point. I had the House bill to create a nonpartisan uh, commission uh, that would oversee it, and then I constructed it in such a way uh, that I did get uh, uh, the uh, Democrats and Republicans on board uh, with it. Uh, but there was no doubt that the Speaker of the House and President of the Senate did not want to go forward. Uh, so then. Uh, as the session ended in 2015, I led the fight, or 2014, I led the fight to bring it to the referendum. Anne Arundel County had more signatures <coughs> than any other jurisdiction in the state. I used my two locations, my jewelry store, we had lights going down the street. Democrat and Republican, it was nonpartisan. It's a good government issue. Uh, to, to please, you know, stop the Jerry Henry. And to get it on the ballot, unfortunately, the Secretary of the State was very partisan. He gets to choose the wording that goes on the ballot. So he took the wording that was from the bill, and it said that voting yes will change the way it's drawn. Well, that's how it was on the bill. The bill passed, so now the argument was changed. So if you said yes, then you were for the change. So a lot of people voted yes, feeling that they were saying, yes, I want to change. And they were really voting, yes, I support the way it is. It, he really pulled a, a stunt on everyone. So to prove the point, I then led about battle to great response to be able to get a poll to show that there was this need and people wanted it.
6: So it surprised the newspapers. People voted one way, and yet the poll was the exact opposite. Um, I'm very much for it. By the way, the version of the bill I put forward it's the same one Larry Hogan's been working on. I fully support him in this, and I'm not gonna wait for what other states for to do. Thank you. Sir, sure, is there anything further you'd like to add?
7: I think this is one of the Marylands where we agree on a nonpartisan commission is the best way to move forward. I didn't mean to say that we wait on other states, I meant to say that we exercise the leadership of Maryland has traditionally exercised with our surrounding states and influence them to do the same thing. Thank you.
8: Okay, I, I just think we, uh, we do take the lead, so we are saying the same thing in that regard. Uh, and, but I've heard the argument that other states aren't doing it, and so I'm not going to be the it. That's what what so many legislators say. And so I don't like that kind of talk. We need to do this in own. Okay, we we'll move to questions from the audience. the first, which I'll uh, ask Mr. George to respond. To. First, what would be your priority issues if you are elected to the Senate? How would you... Uh, Implement your priorities. Uh, two minutes. Okay. Uh, well, there's, there's quite a list there, uh, but one of the most immediate things is to uh, work on the things that Larry Hogan's already put forward and that got defeated uh, in the House and in the Senate that are good bills, um, and we want to put them through. I worked on the More Johnson Maryland Act, and I worked that through the Senate through the House uh, last year, and we want to continue that and grow that. Uh, it allows us to be able to put privilege uh, in zones and businesses into very poor areas in like Baltimore City and other places to help bring them back. And uh, somebody said, oh, well, that's, that's corporate uh, welfare that you are going to give them a big tax break. No, they're willing to take risks to go in there and create these jobs. And it's a risk to them, their employees, take security and other things. And so I'm for that. I'm for expanding that, I think that's an important one. Um, I hear a lot of things going forward, like Sarah, we've knocked on several, several, several thousand doors. Uh, about 18,000 have received our literature, and uh, we haven't stopped, of course, I started three years ago, so I've think done very well over the last couple of
5: years. Um, so, uh, finding out the constituent service issues was really important. There's quite a few of those bills that I'll forward. Uh, one thing that's really important to me is the backlog that we have in traffic on the peninsula.
8: And it's very important to me. That's one thing I'll be working on. There are some solutions, some issues I want to really have and see the full study on that and the plans for it, especially Mayo Peninsula. I only had to. I was the one that came forward and I put a turn lane onto Muddy Creek Road. I got that to be put back in the budget and um, and to get that
5: done. Uh, but apparently they just did temporary one. Now there's a sinkhole. They never did the coring, and so I really want to push uh, for Mayo. To get things done. Uh, the opioid crisis is very important to me. I have a degree,
8: a uh, master's degree in uh, clinical psychology, and I'm anxious to help uh, with those issues. I like what Larry Hogan has been going and putting forward, and uh, he will have my full support. Thank you. you. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Like I knocked on uh, tens of thousands of doors in this district
7: and asked voters well, one simple question What issues matter most to you and your families? And without a doubt, Voters respond that we have some of the best schools in the nation right here in Maryland but not every child and not every classroom has the resources they need to succeed. Next year we have a once in a generation opportunity to rewrite our state's education funding formula and I know that everybody can certainly agree that public education is a public good. Uh, my goals next year when we rewrite that fund- funding formula are, are, are numerous. First I believe in investing not just more money but investing money in the right places, universal pre-kindergarten. In Shadyside, just a few weeks ago, parents lined up at 6 a.m. to get their child a spot, a coveted spot in one of the very few pre-kindergarten classrooms, and only uh, one-fourth of those parents were able to get their children in one of those, those classes. I believe in paying our educators what they deserve. We lose so many great teachers to other jurisdictions that pay more money, and we need to invest in keeping our, our talented and experienced teachers right here in all the tiny classrooms. I also, and why I agree on this as well, I also believe strongly more clear technical education in every classroom so that students have a pathway, whether that's college or apprenticeship programs in the military, so that high school is an terminal experience. I'm very proud of being with a teachers union and plan to be a strong advocate for our public schools next year. Secondly, uh, continuing our progress in the Bay and making sure that regardless of what happens with the Bay program funding in Washington, D.C., that Maryland continues to be a leader when it comes to investing in oyster populations. In mitigating that overdevelopment that causes so much traffic throughout the district by strengthening the Forest Conservation Act at the state level, protecting our federal areas. And finally, investing in renewable energy and tackling climate change head-on. I live at the bottom of the city dock in Annapolis, and I've had a, a very hard time getting home the past few weeks because of sea level rise that threatens many parts of this district. So the bay, the environment, jobs, many, many things, very difficult to answer in two minutes, but those are my issues. Thank you. Thank you.
6: To elaborate upon that, because the next question comes to you first, yourself, so, for two minutes. What efforts do you want to steer to clean
7: up the Chesapeake Bay? Wow, thank you. I was a little ahead of the game there. But I spent my career on working on the Chesapeake Bay issues. I served as a uh, head of government affairs for the National Aquarium in Baltimore, which was a very cool job. I got to interact with sea turtles and dolphins, but I also got to work on fisheries issues. I had the opportunity to work on a build-in-band styrofoam, classified plastic bag of that Clog our waterways in Farmer Bay. Uh, we need, need to do better when it comes to investing in, and I mentioned oyster aquaculture, making it easy to oyster farm. It's a win win win. It, it supports small businesses, it cleans the bay, and we all have delicious local oysters to eat. We can do better at protecting those critical areas, strengthening the state laws to make sure that counties are actually doing their job enforcing critical area laws. Uh, and of course, I mentioned uh, renewable energy. The, the top two fastest growing jobs in the nation, measured by the Bureau of Labor Statistics, a nonpartisan uh, organization, were solar panel manufacturing and wind turbine manufacturing.
5: This is about strengthening our economy
7: while doing right by our planet at the same time. And we have an opportunity next year uh, to continue the path that Maryland has led on investing in renewable energy. Thank you, George. Okay, well, Maggie McDodge, who headed the Environmental Committee, I nicknamed EMAC in 2008. Elephant. So that kind of stuck a little bit whenever I come up with things. Um, in 2010, I put forward
8: the Energy Net Metering Bill uh, to create, uh, when it, it allows uh, municipalities, was for municipalities, to put uh, renewable energy credits, credits towards renewable energy. And it would take probably seven or eight years, but they'll save up enough that they can then put up wind turbines or solar parks. And so, Crisfield, which is the forest area of the, of the, the state, on the lower eastern shore, uh, on the bayside, has enough wind. It's one of the few places, three top places that has enough wind. And they're having a problem with the power and getting uh, energy. And I put forward energy meter and I went to them with the idea, and they came and testified for the bill, helped to get it through. And I was part of the celebration uh, a year ago of the opening up of the wind turbines down at, uh, at Crisfield. Uh, nobody else can claim that kind of success on a bill. Uh, there are solar parks that are going on from that too. It's not the only way, but it was a help. And it didn't raise taxes or anything like that. Like many bills, people want to know how we're going to fund it. Also, there's a big tax increase. There are answers uh, to that. Also, my waterways bill. In 2008, my waterways bill, the second edition, which came out in 2012, uh, I lockboxed that money. The other waterways fund we get, we get robbed all the time. I lockboxed this. And it goes to Woodproofing Bay, and Bay is the cleanest it's been in many, many years. Um, as you know, um, I also had the idea to put wind energy at Greenbury Point. We came very close to it. My biggest problem is it takes NAVPAC in Washington, the Naval Facility Command, and other locations uh, of the Navy, to all come together. So I had everyone great. The Naval Academy has something to do with that property, So the NAPVAC facility is on the North Shore of the Southern. I had them all come together in
7: favor of it, and then before you know it, after two years, they're all being moved around again, and I have to start at square one again. Uh, there's a good place, I think it's a great, great idea. I'll just stop right there. <laughs> then, Thank you. Just a quick uh, response. Uh, the Sierra Club, the Maryland League of Conservation Voters, uh, and the Spotting have all endorsed me because they believe in my track record, in my vision for making sure we continue progress of the Chesapeake Bay. Uh, so the Farm Bureau was, it, was it a surprise, frankly, since it's a traditionally more conservative group, but when
5: I sat down, we sat down together, we ultimately came to the same conclusion that we're all invested
7: in the same thing, which is a clean, healthy Chesapeake Bay, not just for us, but for generations to come. 30 seconds, Mr. George. Uh, it's created quite an outrage with farmers uh, in South County uh, because Sarah was resisting them on all kinds of things that they use, uh, and yeah, things like that, Lower path to come out of it. Uh, finally, the bill was changed to just labeling, which was good. Um, so they're all very upset about that. The speaker and Sarah were both selected, and uh, it's, it's, it was kind of an odd arrangement, and they um, are suspecting there was something else going on there. But, uh, yeah, I, we, we just don't know. We have people from the board. They believe that Stuart Pittman, who was on the board, had a lot to do with it also. Uh, so that whole thing, just, it's, it's a wash. Uh, so I'm, I'm just going to leave it there. But, uh, when you go to the farmers, they all can't believe it. They're all very upset about We don't
5: Mr. Kirk, two minutes. How should the state ensure good medical health care for all Americans? I, I couldn't hear that. How should the state ensure good medical health care for all Americans? Well, I would disagree um, with the people that are saying single payer. I've been uh, studying that in other states and other uh, places that they have tried it in other countries. I know we're different here, uh, but uh, I think it would would knock us out. We'd be losing our good physicians. Um, One of the things uh, that's really important for good health care is to keep your physicians. Johns Hopkins has had a graduate state
8: could come and we got to reimbursement rate on some, know insurance companies have brought it back down. The problem we have in Maryland is that anything with healthcare, if it deals with insurance companies, it goes to health and government operations, and all of them get big donations from the insurance companies. And then, if it deals with uh, legislative things, it goes to the uh, judiciary committees, and uh, they have a lot of lawyers on their committees, so it's like a doctor can't win. We have to do something different. We're going to have a severe, severe health care crisis if we don't start getting doctors in here. My brother is Dr. Stephen George. He's a uh, very recognized, world-recognized uh, rheumatologist, uh, and he's had a lot to do um, with many studies. And uh, he's reached uh, retirement age and is sticking around because there's no one really to take his place, the kind of thing he does. He's willing to train. He's willing to work with people. Uh, but people don't want to stay in Maryland. So uh, that's one area uh, for physicians to do, uh, to work there. I also want to, I, I do not agree with what the state did in 2011. They put a bill in, and they put it in the, the Berber bill, uh, to take away health care benefits of retirees of the state, state retirees. And I, while well, I voted against it, um, Sarah's party, everyone voted for it. I think they were told to do that. I thought it was dishonest. I, just just to finish up, the fact of the matter is, is that they didn't even tell the retirees, so this year came when it was supposed to happen. They made it, it wouldn't happen until this year. That just happened. They were all
6: surprised with it, and we want to get to the bottom of it. Why do it against that, though? Thank you. Southwest, Household and State Insurance for in the Medical Health Care for now Americans. Two minutes. Maryland has always been a leader on affordable and
7: accessible health and many of the protections of the Affordable Care Act, according to Congress made uh, made that law a reality nationally. Here in Maryland, we have the All-Payer system. It's unique to the 50 states, and it it's a, a wonderful system in which all rate payers, private insurers, Medicare, and Medicaid, uh, pay the same to hospitals. So that does a number of things. It keeps costs down for all. Of it also ensures that hospitals have a greater stake in making sure that you get and stay healthy. That's resulted in a number of wonderful things in our community. Right here in the medical center, opened up a clinic right on Sardis Drive that serves 6,000 patients a year. You probably drive by it every day, didn't know it existed. It serves mostly underinsured and uninsured people. And it keeps them healthy. It serves as a primary care uh, place of medicine. And it keeps them out of the emergency departments that are costly for everybody involved. We need to continue those innovations here in Maryland to make sure that we protect that federal labor with this federal administration, but we can also do more. We can do more to make it easier for seniors to age in place. We can do more to keep cost of prescription drugs down for all Marylanders. When people are choosing between eating and buying insulin, we have real problems in society. And as uh, leaders of our state, it's incumbent upon us to find solutions to those problems. On Ron's uh, uh, piece on the. I was not in legislature when that happened. I will not take the bullet for people who voted uh, for that. But I can tell you it's going to be top priority this legislative session to find a solution for so many pensioners who have relied on the state system. Um, we're asking ask you to send us to an to find that solution, and I promise you that we will. Uh, yes, the all-payer system. You know, I was getting to that. I don't realize it like, feels like time's going faster when I'm talking, and I know it's not. just when you're up here, that's seems like. Um, the all-pair system is very important in the fact that we got a stronger extension on that and how that works and, and, and firm that up is huge for Maryland. Uh,
6: it's very good. My thanks, sir, for bringing that up. Um, so that's where, that's where we are. I mean, we're one of the better systems, but how do we get health care for all? She mentioned the clinic out of Forest Drive. Uh, Dr. Friedman was a good member of our doctor's caucus, a very strong member in the helped by many issues to get the first clinics open. we were was trying to do that sort of thing. Ms. Alfred, anything further? Okay. Then uh, I just want to start with Ms. Alfred for two minutes. To what extent should the state support private school education? I am a
7: proud product of public schools, so is my whole family. I had the good fortune of earning a scholarship to Towson University, and uh, I believe that public education is the best investment we can make as a government and as a society. There have been a number of measures over the last few years to use public tax dollars to pay for private and religious education. I I disagree with that. I think we need to work very hard to better the schools that we have that are in public good in our communities, and we have that opportunity next year when we rewrite the state's education funding formula? Again, to invest in universal pre kindergarten, to pay teachers what they deserve, to get more support staff that are sorely needed in our schools, everything from social workers to counselors to psychologists, there are schools in this county that have 800 students to one counselor. And that's not everybody, anybody a service. Frankly, it's a threat to the public safety of our schools. And we need to use all of our public dollars for our public you. Mr. George. Well, I also know that uh, many types of education work
8: for many types of people. And everyone's paying taxes. So it's not really taking money. Sometimes when you talk about getting a little bit of a break, to, the, the, to the, some of the private schools, and say, I'm talking about like St. John's College. Now, uh, we have a first year as president of the college for many, many years, and the scholarship grants are really important to help keep them going. Uh, and many people go there; they want to keep the tuitions as low as possible. It's not necessarily taking money the money away from the public school system to do that. That's what people are thinking that it does. Uh, the scholarship grants are in their own category they are treated quite differently. Um, so I do support it uh, to an extent. You certainly don't want to go over the top, but I would hate to see many of these private schools uh, disappear, and uh, I think that's important. Uh, our public education is important. We know that uh, there's going to be asking for big increases again, and uh, Sarah's mentioned this a couple times. One thing we have in Maryland is we have the highest administrators positions in the country. Um, of the top ten, four of them are Maryland the jurisdictions. And it's true in the top 20, there's more there's, than, uh, I think it's like almost 8 of them, 10 of them, 9, 8 to 10. Uh, the problem is we have so many administrative positions, so much money going there. I'd like to see that money go more directly to the classrooms and stop growing all of these positions that aren't dealing with the classroom. The teachers need that money. We raise the money that was supposed to go to the classrooms, and it seems to be going someplace else. So that's the main, main thing for me is to make sure money goes more directly to the classrooms. Um, I was part of it when we increased the, the funding last time. I saw it go up and I saw problems in the classroom. Also, the, the, the schools that we're building are becoming such expensive Taj the Halls. They're overspending spending construction <coughs> of the schools. Uh, you' get support at of our High School,
5: I would up to help them get a, to, to get a school there because they were on the list a long time, seemed to get dropped down, so I ended up throwing support behind it, but I was surprised at the amount they decided to go there
8: and the type of uh, building that it is. You can build good schools without making it a tajiko model. You can build a good school without it. Thank you. 30
7: seconds for something. To clarify, I was referring to uh, public money going to K-12 private schools. When it comes to the seller formula, it is one of the uh, more elegant and beauty ways that we fund our hiring and system. I have the opportunity to be appointed by the governor to serve on as a student member of the University System of Maryland, Board of Regents, working on uh, setting tuition policy and hiring, hiring university leaderships. The way that we fund higher education in the state is beautiful. We have one set amount for our uh, comprehensive of four-year universities and research universities. That is directly tied to the amount of funding that we give to our great private universities and directly tied to our community colleges. And I think that's a tremendous formula and has led to the fact that we have one uh, the best higher education systems. Uh, yeah. So, just let's not when we talk about uh, school going, money going to private schools. We are talking about Sillinger and everything all the way down. And Sillinger grants are suddenly cut some years during the years, unexpectedly, last minute. The schools are ready to prepare. Uh, so we have to make sure that we also protect that money. Mm-hmm. Time. Mm-hmm. This is a question. Two minutes. What initiatives would you pursue to address overdevelopment, traffic? Road bridge construction, overdevelopment,
8: traffic, overdevelopment, traffic, and road bridge construction. Well, I, you know, I listen. I was in the legislature when all of a sudden, you know, we had a recession come, and we're supposed to be getting money. And Obama sent money over to be used on the roads and bridges, and it wasn't. It was used elsewhere. And I looked at the money that was supposed to be going to roads and bridges all during those eight years. Nobody knew where it was going. The roads were not improved. What a difference it is, Larry is making a little more money. The money that was supposed to go there, he block-boxed it. He's trying to make sure that that money always goes to the road improvement, the bridge improvement. And I think we're getting there. I think we are. Uh, I do see certain parts of the state. I see some parts of South County, uh, some, what, some things in the Annapolis area that you need to get onto the list on the that. I served on the Transportation Subcommittee. Um, I worked on the plans for expanding the Southern River Bridge early on. We never got the last administration to go thankful uh, this Governor did, um, and uh, you know, we, we want to take care of, like I said, before the traffic and the missiles. There are some ideas out there, folks, and we need to get them out there and talk about and them, get them on the table. Because, uh, you know, I said this, you know, uh, six years ago, I was saying, you know, we need to be proactive on, on roads and bridges, and we're not, we're behind them during the amount years. So we're still catching up. We're seeing a lot of improvement going on. But there's a lot of money being put towards the transportation trust fund now that's lockboxed in and being put to the roads. Uh, so we're going to get there. I would like to work for this area. I, I don't like the fact of what's happening. As I mentioned, they open other traffic problems. Uh, if there's a medical issue and there's a certain time of day, you can't get out of there. Um, so I was part to getting the uh, emergency uh, people down there. We have a center. Uh, where uh, People can be treated immediately. And we also have a, a helicopter uh, that will be coming.
7: Better. I have two seconds. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're At District 30 is quite a diverse uh, place. We go all the way from the Broadneck Peninsula to the Heritage Harbour, all the way down to Friendship. But there seems to be one unifying theme, which is that we are growing faster than many residents are comfortable with. And we're seeing that in overcrowded schools, we're seeing that in, in congestion on our roads. Uh, longer community times. We're also seeing that as a strain on our public safety officials. And we have some of the longest response times in South County, and frankly, that's unacceptable. At the state level, we can do a number of things to mitigate that overdevelopment. Chief among them is strengthen the State's Forest Conservation Act. That was first passed in uh, 1991 or 92, I believe, um, and has not been strengthened since. Now, that sets the bar for the type of forest that we can take down and the measure at which we replace that forest. Uh, I believe that we should have a one system, just like the city of Annapolis just passed, that we protect contiguous and uh, forests forest that are closest to watersheds to make sure that we provide the natural filtration system for the bay that was here before we were. We can also, again, strengthen that federal area loss on the of that development and mitigate so much of the congestion we're seeing in our roads or classrooms and for our safety. Uh, this question then going to move first. Two minutes. How will you address making Maryland business friendly and help make Maryland business economically competitive? That's a wonderful question. I spent uh, some time working at the University of Maryland on what's called the Greater College Park Project. Uh, Our job was to make it a better university town for faculty and staff to live and walk closer to campus, to build startup spaces for so many of our wonderful companies that are. growing, starting and growing our university campuses and them space so when students graduate, they can keep those companies here in Maryland, that tax base, that job creation, that innovation, and not in Silicon Valley. We can do a lot more of that type of work. We have some of the best higher education systems uh, institutions, in, including the Naval Academy. We have NIH.
5: We have all the tools in our toolkit
7: right now. We just need to make sure that we are keeping that talent here in Maryland and we're making it as easy as possible businesses to open and for good-paying jobs to prosper here. Thank you. Yes, sure. like you said make Maryland more business-friendly and competitive, and competitive.
8: Well, thank you. As a business owner, I've had my business on Main Street, Annapolis, since 1991. I've worked in businesses in the area since 81, uh, doing work for different stores. So I had a business at home before I went to their retail store. I have suffered uh, through a lot of uh, things going on. I've been many years and during their valley years and we're starting to see some fresh air. Um, I would really like very Hope to really go full. throttle on small businesses. I'm all about these small businesses and helping them grow. Uh, It's very difficult when you are very responsible for all your employees and all the health care. You know, I'm I'm one person, I'm probably the only one running that signs in front of a paycheck, you know. Uh, each week. Uh, it's, it's really important, I think, that people understand business. Uh, the Mayor of Annapolis didn't quite understand it when he wanted to put the, the bike lane in an area that was just made of too thin, the emergency vehicles could go off, and he just wouldn't listen to us. He said, the well, George just wants to park in front of the store. Yeah. Uh, there's a disconnect there. Um, you might have good ideas,
5: but you really need to vet them and work them out, not against bikes. You can have bike lanes all around town.
8: To do it even though it's to a business but the main street out and more is not the way of taking out all those meters without understanding the effect can add on businesses and stuff um, so you need someone in there who understands business and how it's supposed to work uh, i was in there like i said during the valley years and every time there was uh, another shortfall raise taxes you know if there was uh businesses aren't making enough revenue raise taxes there's always raised taxes. Uh, Larry Hogan gets it. He and I are both small businessmen. One thing that a lot of small business owners, when they go into the legislature, they seem to get it. They become very solution-oriented. I am solution-oriented, and I work very hard. If there's a problem, there's an answer. That's Larry's philosophy. That's how he works. That's how I work. And I'm looking forward to working with him to create jobs. It isn't enough to say you're going to create jobs uh, because you're for the environment. You're going to create jobs. That does not answer uh, you have to really understand how the economy works. Uh, I've taught on it, I've lived it, and I hope you have an answer. I apologize. I hope you could each
7: uh, give us maybe 30 seconds on a follow-up question, okay. which is uh, your views on raising the American women wage. Ms. Uh, I, I mentioned I was raised by, I haven't actually mentioned, that was raised by single mother. And was able to uh my sister and, and me because she had affordable access to child care and she had a good union job she was a probation officer that made sure that she had affordable health care and a living wage so that we had a place to live um, i see so many people in our county struggling uh, it's one of the more expensive counties to live a minimum wage is not even a pay for any uh, but an apartment here in our county we're seeing is so many of our teachers or firefighters live, not just in other counties, but in Pennsylvania, because it's so expensive to live here in our county. I believe those people make the best neighbors, and we need to do more to make sure that we support um, a living wage, but we do it in a way that's responsible for business. I know that businesses respect uh, continuity and predictability, so I believe that we need to phase it in and give them the opportunity.
8: Mr. George, your views on raising Yeah, no, I, I don't support it because as an employer, I do raise it as my employees come in. I have never started someone at minimum wage. I always started them a little higher. But now, that's considered minimum wage. And I still don't know what they can do or how effective they are. Usually after a couple months, I get it, I know what they want, and then I set their salary. They um, have them come in at $15 an hour on just a part-time job where you get people to be, want jobs to do. It was a good way of training the young people, kids from high school, and things of that sort. We don't even hire them anymore. You don't. And, and they're not learning that type of work ethic.
6: And so many people learn that way. So why are we here? that was that 15 cents? So no, I don't support it because anytime you try to do something, it's going to have a ramification someplace else. You don't artificially do something. That's not how the economy works. Okay, so uh, Mr. George. Uh, what Tell us what controls you would uh, support for guns. Well, I think that the laws that they have, the red flag law, the gun to be, looked at. see if there's ways to strengthen that. Um, the idea of, now, now you said controls for guns, I think uh, the problem we're
5: having with the shootings has more to do with the mental health issue. I've spoken on that before. Uh, we now have uh, indicators all the way down from all the different mass shooters that are similar, whether they were rejected these men man or rejected by a woman, and that should be to make to shoot. But when you, when you get all these indicators together,
8: you see that there are similarities in mental health issues. And I think that's where we should start, because once we have these indicators, and that's my bill, to put a commission together to help us with these things. I have psychologists from Johns Hopkins be on the commission, people take part that will help us study all these other shooters and see what's similar. Ramos had so many of the similarities, you know, uh, stalking movement and things like that. He should have a gun. The third time that he got a uh, you know, he, he was straining order for three times and he still could go buy a gun. That was wrong. I think that uh, it's so important for us to look at all of these things and then make sure we're getting hands, the guns out of the hands of those that are mentally ill certain ways the indicators are there and that's exactly where i would start at a great little psychology on people to bring uh, the, the psychology you know, like people together and uh you know, we'll have we people on the commission you know uh, human rights and all of that uh, to protect the rights uh, but we really have to start on this we can't put it off anymore this idea that somehow uh, we might be uh, hurting someone's uh, private right Getting a little money when you know that uh, the right of the woman who's being stalked needs to be protected too. And that's why it's so, so important to really put this together and then put something together uh, that uh, can work in Maryland and be passed and show other states uh, how we can do it. So that's the first ones that we want to remove the guns from, and it is a mental health issue. Thank you. Yourself, huh? Gun violence is
7: our national tragedy, and it's our national shame. Here in Maryland, we have some wonderful gun laws, some of the strongest in the nation, but we need to do more. I have never been more proud to receive an F than I was yesterday when the NRA gave me an F based on my questionnaire and uh, my positions on strengthening our already strong gun laws. Uh, I agree with Mr. George that uh, the tragedy at the Capitol stemmed from, frankly, violence against women and the fact that we need to take action. That we need to remove the guns from people who are convicted of harassment and stalking. The red flag law was a new step in that direction, but there's more to do. I'm not running for office just to send off prayers every few weeks that this occurs at a national level, but that we continue to look in the mirror, ask ourselves hard our questions, and find solutions together as a community. We have some of the best minds here in Maryland, from Johns Hopkins to NIH to the University of Maryland. We need to put those together, treat gun violence Prices that it is find the the, the, the the where it starts so we can identify how to solve it. We need universal background checks, something that 90 percent of Americans agree on, but we don't have here in Maryland. We can accomplish that next year. We need to keep guns out of the hands of minors. The fact that you, if you're an adult and you have children in the house under the age of 16, you have to keep your gun locked up. But once they turn 17, uh, you don't have to do it anymore. We need to strengthen those laws. We need to make sure that we, as I mentioned in the beginning, are a leader when it comes to influencing other states when the majority of guns that are used as violence in Baltimore City, right here in Annapolis, are illegally traffic guns coming to other states with pick gun laws. We can't wait for Congress to act when we know it won't. We need to be a leader, work together with our surrounding states to strengthen our regional gun laws. Thank just, just a brief one. Um, in 2013, I had a mental health bill that I put in. And we had psychologists and everyone lining up for it. It was getting a lot of attention. But sadly, O'Malley Felton was interfering with his gun law bill, and so he kind of shut down, and it didn't really get the hearing it should have. Um, so I'm looking forward to getting in there. That. That's number one uh, as soon as I get in. i have already working on the drafting of the bill, taking my 2013 uh, bill and expanding on it. With what else do we have that we know? But mental health is a very serious issue that affects like our communities. We need to make sure it's fully funded, and that people have reasonable, affordable access to mental health services they need. But that is not the solution alone. It's not.
6: This one on cross goes to Ms. Elberth first. How would you strengthen police and civilian relations in the state? That's a great question. I spend a lot of uh, my free time uh, at a group called
7: Eastport Working Together. It's a group that came together after a number of violent incidents plagued our communities in Eastport. It's a group that brings together uh, folks from all sides of Eastport, but most importantly focuses on the children who live in public housing in Eastport. And we ask the question, what do you need? What's going to prevent you from... In, in violence, or how can we help you as a community? And their answer was simple. We need mentors, we need jobs, we need people who care about us, we need a better school system. Um, we can strengthen police-community relations, and by the way, the police are there, Annapolis PD has been a wonderful partner with that group, they're there, they often actually cook the food for our dinners, and are part of that conversation, and it's groups like that uh, that are really making a difference in our communities. It is a very micro-solution to a macro problem, but that's where the issues start, and that Well, I've done a lot of volunteer work and I've worked in inner cities and I've worked with runaways and push-outs and people that were in gangs and they needed to be gotten out of gangs. Um, when I was in New York City, I helped uh, get women, uh, uh, young women who run away from home and they got pushed into drugs and prostitution in New York City to get them off the street, to get them back home. We
8: had done quite a few things like that. Um, and I have to tell you, the young people, when they really sit, you sit down with them and you really talk to them. And, and what are you going to do with your life? You know, you're always going to be mad at how your parents were. You know, we talk things out. And in the counseling process, you come to find out that they would have a real hunger to just go to work. They're not against it. Uh, But everything's being handed to them. And I think uh, one thing we have to do, even with our inner city kids, is allow them to have chores and to be able to be paid for. it. A young man was wandering around downtown, had nothing to do, and he asked me for some money. And I said, all right, you wash my windows, and I'll give you $8.00. And I said, come back next week, I'll do the same. And he was all excited, he kept doing it. And then he did more. And I said, okay, use me as a reference, go ask some other stores. Before you know it, he was doing all this work, and he was saving it all up, and he was doing great. He was feeling good about himself, he was putting some money aside. He was looking forward to surprising his grandmother with, with a Christmas gift. And uh, then one day he stopped showing up. Apparently, I got to meet up with money taken and the was So I think getting the relationship within, not just with the police, but all of us, get involved, volunteer, people are afraid to go into these communities, and so many of these young people are looking for answers, and they need someone to tell them, Uh, this Adopt a Big Brother program, things like that, we have to get that going again in the area. And uh, the kids are being drawn in because there's no other way for them to to, go, is what I'm saying. And uh, the respect for the police will be there, the police for the kids is there, and that place is doing a tremendous job, I've been in those places where they have done things and worked with Kids. and it's great to see, but well, I think we need more adults doing that. And, uh, so, so seriously, think about that. Thank you. Okay.
6: Um, are there any legislative or other initiatives that you would pursue to bring the two parties together? Mr. George. Well, um, I have the endorsement of the
8: former Democratic Speaker of the House, Clayton Mitchell, and in his comments he said that Ron George... Had the ability to bring people together to both parties to get things done. I and mean, you will see, bill after bill after bill, I make sure it was nonpartisan. I don't treat anyone as my candidate in that. They didn't, I don't like it when anyone in a party does that. Um, I was asked to chair the Anne Arundel County delegation, which was half Democrat, half Republican. I was voted overwhelmingly to do that because I was able to pull people together to get things done. We had no inviting. I said, I'm not going to hear it. If somebody wants to put somebody down, the main purpose of anyone in a leadership position is to keep decorum, make sure the process is respected. I see we have a boss on my house. Clayton Mitchell, when he was there, he respected everybody. And he let everybody vote with their own conscience. He didn't demand that they vote with the party. We have too much of that, but people have to vote just with the party. Let people go. Let, let them talk to each other. We work out ideas. Like I'd have people on a bill and they were told they needed to be taken off the bill. Because they were told to. And it's not right. And uh, so I just really think that uh, some people have been in leadership too long uh, in the state house, and it's messing up our system. Uh, but I did build bipartisan coalitions, and I have a long list of, of things that I accomplished. Even the mental health bill that I told you about. more than half of the Democrats on that bill—I don't go looking just for my party. I sit down, I explain the issue, I try to build coalitions, and that way I have a good relationship with everybody. How I many Republicans got a lot of things passed? I passed a lot of good ideas and a lot of good bills. Thank you.
7: So, uh, I have not served in elected office before, but I did have the, the pleasure of working with the General Assembly for the last 10 years of my career, working across the aisle on bipartisan issues like the environment, like education, and we look forward to continuing that uh, next year. Senator John Astor, who's held the seat for, for the last two decades uh, and who's supporting me for, for this election, is a fan of saying that politics stops after Election Day and partisanship stops after Election Day. There is no Republican or Democratic solution. There's just the right solution for our, our community um, on a specific issue that I'd like to work on. Tonight, I asked a our last meeting of a gentleman named Elliot who uh, volunteered that hunger in our community is such a huge issue for, particularly for children. So many of our children go to school hungry on an empty stomach and find it very difficult to learn. To me, that's a nonpartisan issue that we can continue working on when it comes to. Um, making sure that the the schools that need it have all the funding that they need to provide um, not just uh, free meals at lunchtime, but also breakfast. Um, There are a number of nonprofit organizations like Backpack Buddies that are sending much-needed food home on weekends for children. The fact that we live in a community that has uh, such a high percentage, I mean it's 13% of children, young people, who uh, live live in food-insecure households, that's certainly a non-participation.
6: You know, you could increase that an extra buck. That would help people riding the bus. or give a give a little bit towards it. It has to be self-funded in a way, but the big buses are so expensive. And so many of these
7: ones, I think, if they were smaller, they would work. But I think you could privatize them too. People would love to make extra money, privatize them, and charge them a low low, low price, to make it work. And I think you can do that. You can keep it, you can set the prices where it should be, and let people do that, make some extra money. So. I can be using transportation money for transportation. Uh, again, uh, making sure we're improving our roads, but also using that money for public transportation, the needs that, means that uh, particularly in South County, that didn't have any public transportation below Edgewater. And a group of wonderful community activists got together and started a bus similar to what Mr. George is talking
6: about to directly connect people and where they work and where they live. do more of that. Okay, Ms. Dufferth, do you support a second big bridge Route 50? Yeah. And, uh,
7: I do. Um, but as a, as a hopeful member of the General Assembly, uh, we need to also find a way to
8: pay for them, and the cost of the new neighborhood is going to be quite significant. Uh, but I do if we can find a, a responsible, reasonable way and locations to for it. Mr. Gurdjieff? Uh, yeah, I mean, I was part of that Transportation uh, Committee while we were working this, and so we came up with a few different locations. One of them was closer to Baltimore, up near the top. Uh, and Go across, and that would lead so, to so many of those cars coming down this side, trying to come across, instead of going around uh, the shore side. Uh, there are different ways to work it, um, but I think part of the problem is, like I said, the transportation trust fund was created for so many years, uh, and we didn't know where the money that was meant for transportation was going. And uh, I think that we would also get help uh, from the federal government on that, because that is part of the interstate road. And uh, so we can work all together. I think we need to start working on it. Thank you. Okay.
6: Uh, for Mr. George, 30 seconds again. Many se- seniors contemplate leaving Maryland because of high tax rates and uh, the state's inheritance tax. What would you do to encourage seniors to stay in Maryland? Let's
8: take this for a minute. Now. Okay. Um, the uh, state tax, and then you're talking about when you talking about state tax, you're talking about tax rates and inheritance.
5: inheritance tax. And there's two different, there's two different things on that. Uh, I led the dealing of the estate tax. The uh, inheritance
8: tax is something quite different, a different level, um, and uh, you certainly helped in that regard. Um, but I think that, uh, that I've said it's my number one thing. The number one tax cut I want to look towards is uh, It uh, Needs to go down. So many retirees, uh, the taxes have kept going up, but their income wasn't going up uh, for so long. They're hurting uh, very much. And I think that's really the next area that we should look at is to help our retirees and keep them here, globally. Um, I also worked on a few other things uh, to help retirees to talk to those and something like that. But I think that's, uh, that's the most important thing is to cut that tax for them um, and, and keep them here and there because they get back in so many ways. And it's, it's important to keep them here and splitting up families. We have people who work here with young families that have a good job. And mom and dad have to, and and This is a question I thought
7: about in advance. Uh, because I often think of my parents. They recently retired and moved to Fenwick Island, Delaware. And the people help near the beach. But at the same time, they often complain to me that they have to drive three hours for their doctor. They have uh, terrible roads that are on their cars to, say, have something like 12 police officers to serve the entire county. And when they complain to me, I say, well, I get what you need here. And here in Maryland, we have some wonderful public schools. We have improvements to make on roads, but they're pretty decent. We have a leader in, in healthcare protecting the Chesapeake Bay. I agree with Ron that we can make it easier for people to retire here, but we also can't make it a race to the bottom in competition with other states. We can take a leadership role and Again, I agree with Governor Hogan when we led the effort to ease the burden on uh, taxing uh, pensions for both uh, military uh, retirees, veterans, but also our public safety personnel, firefighters, police. I'd like to continue to uh, make that easier for uh, those retirees and other retirees to, to stay live and thrive in Maryland. We don't uh, well, Let me ask you to take a breath. Put your, put your thoughts on uh,
6: put your you know, these two have been going for an hour and, and there were to be another six or seven candidates at one post or another. And we're going to give them a little break and an opportunity for you to meet with them and talk with them informally
8: uh, just about their closing statements. Uh, we're all we're so worried the time and we're talking faster and faster. <laughs> <laughs> so we uh, opened with uh, the first question We
6: started with Ms. Elton. So we'll have closing statements Mr. Jordan, first and then...
8: Listen, I grew up here. I'm, I'm now looking to represent entirely where I grew up. Um, I grew up in Howard County, uh, but I spent my summers here in the southern part of the county and also in Annapolis itself. I fell in love with the area. Happened to be up in New York City for a little bit. and met a beautiful ballerina, my wife Becky, uh, 37 years now. And uh, I said, so you're going to love it." We're going to Annapolis I came here, this is where I wanted to settle. It's a beautiful area raising my children here. Um, we enjoyed it very much. Uh, we have six grandkids and they live far away. They can't wait to come home to Annapolis. Uh, it's a beautiful area, it's in my heart, it's in my soul. And when I served in the state legislature, I recognized recognize Debbie Yasik, who's here. She was my aide for eight years uh, in the state house, and we were number one on constituent service. Uh, so anybody had a problem? We we were right on it and you know we're gonna carry that on. And on. that's gonna be uh, very important in my office. Um, people had problems it could be with the different department of the state, they weren't getting the answer they needed, uh, retirees, whatever the situation was, um, we were going on that all the time. I had various things, jokes to work on, but I always had the time for them. I'm accessible. Um Maryland Inn, I'll tell you this secret, they have a great place to have a breakfast and if you work on the both cinnamon and apple, it could be like uh, Chesapeake, you know, whatever it's called, you know, and have preppy and everything all over here. but there's nobody ever there in the morning,
5: so I meet with constituents there, I meet with them in the coffee house, but also my store, people are welcome anytime to come in and talk to me, and they do, and they do. Um, also, my office will be in the state house, but that can be kind of tough to get in, so if somebody calls there and they want to meet with me, I will go meet with them, and uh, constituent service is number one. Uh, my love for this area
8: is number one, and uh, it's in my heart. And just like that, my volunteer work in New York, I take it the same way here. Uh, I, I love helping people. I love solving problems. And I uh, look so forward
6: to meeting them. Thank you. Thank you. You're so, Burr? and I agree and, uh, are, and share very similar campaigns. We've knocked on tens of thousands
7: of doors over the course of this election. And when I ask people what issues matter most to them, it's, it's the Bay and continuing progress there, it's strengthening our public schools, it's the economy that works for everybody. But it's also, I hear, general frustration with uh, what's going on in D.C. And that's less of a, a statement on one person or one party. I think it's a general sense of frustration over a feeling of not being represented, of people not listening to one another, of people not working for the people that they serve.
5: I can tell you that
7: the type of senator I going to be is the type of candidate I've been knocking on tens of thousands of doors, being accessible. Uh, constituent services will be a priority in my office as well. I would love to hold town halls monthly rotated around the district to continue these conversations. I'm not running for office uh, for any other reason than to provide the same opportunities for Marylanders that my family had. Affordable child care, quality public schools, access to a clean environment protections when it comes to uh, affordable health care. I had the opportunity to, to come down to Maryland on a scholarship, and the first thing I did when I got my first paycheck after graduate school was to turn around and fund the Scott and Dallas scholarship so that other young women could get their foot in the door in politics and policy. I'm running for office because I want to provide the same opportunities that, that I and my family had. Um, I asked for your vote, because I think it was the last time we get to speak. Uh, on November 6th, Uh, We have 27 days left. This has been a marathon of our race. I continue to look forward to speaking with you tonight and in the future. Uh, And Please know that I plan to be your voice in the Senate. Thank you.
5: Forums, and uh, I apologize to the five or six of you whose questions I didn't get to, but perhaps you can grab a candidate uh, in a few moments of our informal gathering afterwards. To the late women voters,
6: uh, yes. our deep thanks.